Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Darcy Cardin's had a wild few years. Maybe a decade ago, she was doing improv a lot. She'd get smaller parts on TV shows like Inside Amy Schumer or Veep or Broad City. The last of those was created by her pal, Abby Jacobson. She also worked as a nanny. Her boss for that job, by the way, was Bill Hader. In 2016, she got the part that would change her life. The all-knowing, all-seeing, unfailingly cheerful assistant on The Good Place. Here we are. Just press that button and it's goodbye, Janet. Cheaty, uh. I can see that you're worried, and I just want to assure you, I am not human and I cannot feel pain. Uh, thank you, that helps. However, I should warn you, I am programmed with a fail-safe measure. As you approach the kill switch, I will begin to beg for my life. It's just there in case of an accidental shutdown, but it will seem very real. Cool. So who's doing this, me or you? The Good Place was a success. Millions of viewers, 14 Emmy nominations, including one for Darcy. And alongside The Good Place, Darcy started appearing on another critically acclaimed hit TV show, Barry, created by and starring her former boss, Bill Hader. That show just wrapped up its third season on HBO. Pretty soon, you'll be able to see Darcy Carden in A League of Their Own. It's a TV series based on the movie of the same name, and as in the movie, the show tells the story of the Rockford Peaches, an all-women professional baseball team in World War II. The show reunites Carden with her longtime improv collaborator, Abby Jacobson, who co-created and stars in the show. To someone who hasn't seen her before, Darcy Carden's rise might sound like serendipity. The right people, the right connections, the right audition, that kind of thing. But all you have to do is see Darcy on screen once. She's funny, she's compelling, she's smart. As you're about to hear, she's got range. This clip comes from A League of Their Own. Darcy plays Greta on the show. Greta plays first base on the Peaches. When the show begins, it is clear that the Rockford Peaches face a tough season filled with long bus rides, difficult trades, and all the other trappings of being a wartime baseball team in a fledgling league. In this scene, Greta and her teammate Carson, played by Abby Jacobson, are talking about the season ahead. Okay, I was thinking about it. Maybe Lupe's trying to get traded, and that's why she's getting in with the comments. I really think she would do that? The team's finally doing so well. She just wants to get to the championships. I get that. Everybody's looking out for number one. Uh, Except for you. I just, I see how good we could be, Mm -hmm. and I just want us to get there in time. That's it. You should tell them what Bev said. Let them know what's on the line. It'll no, help. I don't want them in their heads. I want them to think about tomorrow's game only. One at bat at a time. Goodness okay? gracious. And hopefully Jess's lady luck will be on our side. I don't believe in luck. Why not? Well, I don't know if it's God or lady luck, but they give people like us a pretty raw deal so they can kick rocks, you know? Darcy Carton, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. <laughs> Hi. I'm such a fan of your work. Can I ask you... Anything. Uh, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up, back up. Um, I was I was just going to ask if I could ask you the cliched question yeah. whether you had to practice baseball to be on a baseball <laughs> okay, show. Okay, that's, that's the question I meant to say, yes. You can, okay. ask, you can ask that. Did we have to practice? Yeah. We did, yeah. We practiced a lot. 
Um, Were there a varieties of levels of because I am because you know there's plenty of women who play adult baseball, yeah. but there's also plenty of women who've played you know softball through college. Right, right. There was a wide variety of sort of skill level from like never having picked up a bat before to like you know maybe I would say. Maybe Abby Jacobson and Kelly McCormack and I had played the most, you know, through high school, through high school. And then sort of beyond that was like, uh, what do they call them? I was about to say pickup games, but it's not really that. It's like when you're on a, when you like work in an office or you're on a show or something. Exactly. Like somebody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would, I would do those whenever I could, but that, what does that mean? Like maybe once to 10 times a year, depending on the year. Um, Yeah. So anyway, we, we practiced a lot. We, we, I got cast in this role like about four or five months before we started shooting. Abby, Shantae Adams, we were the first three to be a part of this show for quite a while. So the three of us practiced a lot. And then like Melanie Field joined and Kate Berlant and like slowly people started getting cast and they would just, we were doing these, was it like seven to 9 a.m.? You want to know the schedule? I'll tell you. Yeah. Seven to 9 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we would Thank practice. You. I'm writing this yeah, down. Thank please. You. Yeah. And this is years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. go back in time. And we would practice baseball with, um, we had a coach, Justine Siegel, and she would bring other coaches and other baseball players. And we had like a real, people really got good at baseball. It was kind of, you know, Abby and I, I think came in hot. Like we came in like, you know, cocky like oh we play baseball and then everybody got great so it was it was fun to uh watch people learn how to play baseball and all of us get better and one thing I learned is when you play a sport as a kid you basically just do what all the dads tell you to do (laughs) and they don't really know what the hell they're talking about so it was very interesting to have played softball for my lifetime and then finally get coached by people who like are actual legit coaches and they were like so everything you're doing is actually wrong but I was like the daddy's taught me (laughs) you know (laughs) so it was fun to like learn technically how to sort of like improve my game it was really cool it was cool to like gel together as a team before we you know read a page together like usually on a show you meet either like in a table read or on set or you know you you sort of have to like fake chemistry like you might be meeting somebody that's supposed to be playing your best friend or your wife or whatever the day of shooting but with this we really got to like we were a team and the acting was like an afterthought when we got on set we were like oh right 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 we're doing a show we're not actually a baseball team but it was really it was great it was great we all we all got like really into baseball. We got really into it. There was a period when there were a lot of baseball movies, and most of them starred Kevin Costner <laughs> yes. and Tom Selleck. 100%. And, and maybe Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And like both Kevin Costner and Tom Selleck had been like, like borderline prospect baseball players, like <laughs> like nearly professional baseball players. Like in their real lives. Yeah. Oh, and cool. it had and like knew how to play baseball. Yeah. And then Everyone else who has ever been in a baseball movie doesn't know, like, where their arms should go when they throw. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, like, the thing about making a television series is, look, the playing of baseball is not the most 
significant part of this right. show. It's about the people. Right. But you know there's going to be some baseball throughout the entire run of the show. It's a lot of chances to be caught on camera throwing in a weird, awkward yeah. way. Yeah. It, I know. It's, it's funny. You know, growing up watching League of Their Own, as a kid, I remember thinking, like, they're so good at baseball. You know, as a little sporty kid that also was a theater kid, I, it was sort of like, wait, you can do both? Like, you can be a, a sporty actor? Like, this was very eye-opening for me in many ways. And, you know, now having sort of absorbed, absorbed, observed, and absorbed, I truly did mean both. Like, taking in as much information as I can about the shooting of the movie, I've learned that a lot of them had never played baseball before. They, you know, they did some baseball camps and stuff, but, like, I believe Gina Davis was cast, you know, replacing this actor or that actor. It was cast really last minute and had really never played before. But growing up, I was like, now that's an athlete. Like, I remember being like, <laughs> damn, she's good at baseball. So, you know, I'm sure with, you know, an adult's baseball eye, you can see all the little mistakes. But as a kid, I was like, she's a superhero. You were also working alongside, I mean, for one thing, the cast is completely packed full of amazing people. Like, there's like 20 great television actors on the show. Agreed. But... One of the other stars of the show and the co-creator of the show is Abby Jacobson, who you have worked with forever and a day. That's right. What was it like to be on a team with her? Yeah. In, I mean, this is like a pretend team, but still mm -hmm. has a lot of the same. Totally. What's the difference in a way? Yeah, relative to like improvising with her exactly. or writing something with writing a sketch yeah. with her or something. It's funny like it just felt very correct. It felt very it's like what we've always done. This is just a sort of bigger version of it, a different, you know, weirder pretend version of it, but it's exactly like I think one of the things that I love about acting is being on a team. You know, it's like why I got into improv. Like the the magical thing about you know, being in a play or whatever is like the team aspect of it, the cast. So Abby and I, as soon as we met back 15 years ago when we were doing improv together, we were like already on a team together. So this just was like every step of our friendship and relationship and like career together has been on a team in a way. Even more still to get into with Darcy Carden. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Darcy Carden. She played Janet on the hit sitcom The Good Place. On HBO's Barry, she plays the aspiring actor turned assistant turned showrunner, Natalie Greer. And soon you will be able to see her in A League of Their Own. The TV series based on the 1992 film of the same name debuts August 12th on Amazon Prime. Let's get back into our conversation. I enjoyed watching you on A League of Their Own in part because the two roles for which you had been best known previously, mm -hmm. your work on Barry and the Good Place, in both of those, you are, in one case, you're a literal kind of digital assistant. Right. I guess it's not literal. I just said literally imprecisely. Well, but I know what you mean. Uh, you are a God slash the universe created equivalent of a digital assistant. Hell yeah. And on Barry, you are a brown-nosing acting student turned personal assistant. <laughs> turned showrunner. <laughs> and so, like, you have risen to prominence on wings of obsequiousness. 
And this is very, it's very different yeah. to be a sassy broad. Ain't it? I know. And, you know, there was a moment like towards the end of The Good Place, one of the last episodes we were filming and, and Ted, the king, Danson, and I had like a little break and we went and got coffee and sat down and chatted. And he asked what I was going to do next, which in, in League of Their Own hadn't come my way yet. So I didn't know. And he was like, the advice I will give you is do something as different from Janet as humanly possible. Because, you know, I mean, along well, four years running TV show, one that people watch, there's also something about Janet, like, I think of her as sort of like a Mickey Mouse type character. Like, I'm wearing the same clothes every episode. I kind of have some, like, catchphrases. Like, it's very, it's the whole thing. And, and I think, yeah, the next role I could, like, lean into that and, like, this is what I do or I could go far away from it. And I really appreciated that advice and, you know, whatever whatever Ted Danson tells me to do, I'll say, okay, good idea. So that's what I did with this. And when it came my way, you know, I don't think I would have cast me in the role of Greta, if that makes sense. Like if I had the whole, um, if I could have cast me in any role on League of Their Own, I wouldn't have thought to cast me as Greta is what I'm saying. And that's part of why I said yes. I mean, it's in part due, I'm sure, to the fact that one of the bosses of the show is somebody that's known you 15, 20 years. And that, that made it easier for me, too, because I was like, well, she knows what I'm capable of and I trust her and maybe she can see better than I can. You know, it's hard to kind of know what what you are and some somebody that knows you so well, you kind of have to just put your faith in them. One of the things they say about going into auditions is that it's not necessarily that you're making the perfect choices as an actor as that you are making choices. Yeah. Right, because they will know whether they're the right choices or not. Right. Like, they'll know if you're right or not. You're just trying to show them something. And if you don't show them enough, well, then you're not anything. Right, right. But <laughs> I can only imagine going in to audition for the good place <laughs> for this part of Janet, who is in the show kind of the pop up artificial intelligence assistant of the universe that a they didn't even they hadn't really decided what it was right and b it's not anything (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) so So they're like like, so what you got (laughs) yeah so how what choice do you how did you even like how like the night before when you're looking at the sides they gave you or whatever right what what did you decide i that's such a good question and and it's true. Like, I mean, auditions are insane, and this one felt even more insane. I also knew that the they were dummy sides, meaning, like, this wasn't even really what the show was. Not that I knew anything about the show because there was nothing about the show out there. It was all such a secret. But I knew that, like, the sides were – were. it could have been in a different language. Like, it just it, – not to say it didn't make sense, but it had nothing to do with anything. And what – I guess I should have explained it. Sides are the little bit of a script you would have for an audition, and dummy sides would mean – it's like a fake scene, okay? So I do think with this audition, there's there's something special about it, which was like I knew I wasn't going to get the role. Like with 100% certainty, I knew I wasn't going to get the role. But I I was such a Mike Schur fan, and I had never met him before or auditioned for him before. So I thought, like, why don't you just show him the best version of you? You know, like try to make this guy laugh and just remember you enough to like – maybe give you a small role in season three or something like that. So I kind of was like, you know, not to say that Janet is Darcy or Darcy is Janet or whatever, but just sort of like some things you you really do have to just 
show what you have, like, like what <laughs> is inherently special about just you? Because because otherwise, what are you trying to do? I don't know. I don't know what the motivation or, you know, backstory for this character is. So let me just like, let me just see if I can, you know, be the best best version of me. You were an immediate standout on The Good Place on a show with some, you know, Ted Danson, one of the 10 greatest television actors of all time, and Kristen Bell is so brilliant and was already very famous, at, at least for me, but I think for a lot of people, you were an immediate standout. And I think that one of the questions that I wondered mm-hmm. as I was watching it is the same as the question I just asked you about auditioning. Uh-huh only for the show, which is what choices can you make when part of your character is that it is a, you know, universal blank? Right. Well, (laughs) first of all, sir, thank you so much. I speak on behalf of all of America's dorks who developed instant crushes on you. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. Of all genders and sexualities, I want to be clear. Me Thank you so what much. What held us together was our dork joke. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I um, struggled a ton in the, in the first season. And I think the thing that got me through it was Mike Schur and some of the writers that I really leaned on, Jen Statsky and Joe Mandy and Megan Amram and a few of them that I was like, you know, I'm doing this wrong or like, what is this? Or was that right? And, you know, the thing that I that I remember from even just like shooting the pilot was... Mike Shore sort of saying like react less you know like don't have when you say this and she says that you don't have any judgment or opinion on what she says maybe it's not actually like all that bad let's just get some information first we'll ask Janet hey Janet hi there how can I help you what the fork who are you I'm Janet I'm the informational assistant here in The Good Place. She's like this walking database. You can ask her about the creation of the universe or history. Oh, there was a guy who lived in Avondale, Arizona around 2002. His name was Kevin Peltonic. Is he gay? No. Really? Huh. I guess he just didn't want to have sex with me. That's correct. Well, that's fine. I wasn't that into him anyway. Yes, you were. Okay, Janet, I have a question. Okay. What is the bad place like? Oh, sorry. That is the one topic I'm not allowed to tell you about. I can only play you a brief audio clip of what is happening there right now. And that was kind of went against everything I had been taught as an actor. So that was a struggle and felt confusing. And and it was only like... I mean, honestly, after the first season, because this wasn't a this wasn't a pilot that we you know waited a year before we heard if we're going to do a show. It was like it was already a season was greenlit, so I didn't have like a moment to sort of watch the pilot and figure out if that worked or whatever. It was like let's just go. So I do feel like Mike and I really created Janet together, and I and I say that giving the writers like full they they did it, they freaking did it, but they really like let me. Um, figure it out with them, I guess. You got cast on Barry like almost simultaneously yes. 
I remember seeing you in the first scene of Barry and thinking, how can she, how, why is she allowed totally, to be on a lot both of, people of these shows? <laughs> a lot of people thought that. Like, I was happy to see you. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're great and everything. Thanks. But uh, I was like, what? That's how not is... legal. Yeah. Yeah. These are medium big parts on two different shows. <laughs> yeah, it was really lucky. It was like I was auditioning for both of them at the same time. So, you know, I think I was being called back for a good place as I was originally auditioning for Barry. And, and that's just the way like a pilot season would go. And... You know, let me remind you, I was booking nothing before these. So this wasn't like, you know, I wasn't supposed to get anything. Yeah, I'd been in television commercials in Broad City that your friend put you right, in. Right, exactly. I wasn't booking. I wasn't booking, babe. Plays. Yeah. Plays in the Bay Area. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you were there. No, you weren't. What if I find out that you had been in the audience for all those? You're probably in some production at the probably shotgun players I went to. God, twould that I could. My parents had season tickets. Anyway, Pretty edgy. Yeah. I lucked out with Bill Hader and Alec Berg being friendly with Mike Schur and Morgan Sackett, that all the big men. They all, like, got along and were buds. So they sort of went above everything else. And I think, you know, the HBO and the NBC Universal of it all, like, didn't really get involved. They, just, I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, and I'm sure my manager was, like, pulling his hair out trying to make schedules work, but they made it work, and it was really good of them, meaning, like, I'm like grateful, very grateful, because it could have just been like, oh, this isn't going to work or this is too much of a headache. And instead they were like, you know, Mike was like, yeah, it'll work. Yeah, that's fine. And it was and it was like the second AD would like print up my schedule on Good Place for Barry and give it to me. It was really a team effort and very sweet. And I just, you know, made it my mission to like not make a headache for anybody and just like come prepared and be early and don't, you know, complain if you're tired. And if you shot late last night, just like freaking do it and shut up. And I did. I did it and I shut up. I think Barry is a wonderful show. I really enjoyed watching it. I also find it deeply kind of stomach churning. That sounds right. And I was thinking about why. And it's not because, you know, Hater's character is struggling with questions of life and death and uh -huh. post-traumatic stress and stuff like that. I think the number one thing is just how pathetic and sad the actors, totally the the fictional actors totally. on the show are like so real. And because it never goes to like waiting for Guffman silliness, yeah, yeah, it hits pretty hard. I'm with you that they're so sad. Yeah, I'm with you. The acting class, but also like Henry's character, Mr. Cousineau. I, I think this is from season one where he's like auditioning for a, a commercial. That scene destroys me. And whatever you think about Gene Cousineau and like his, you know, pompous, like God complex or whatever, you see him waiting in line for that audition and saying like the one line and Henry's brilliant. And it just destroys me. Like, like could cry, could cry watching that. Hey, Sherry. Gene Cousineau, always good to see you. Thank you. It's what I do. I'm going to give you two options today. Gene M. Cousineau. Reading for man in back of line, self-managed. We're waiting here. Hey, we're waiting here. Uh, would you like to see anything else? Nope, that was great. I think oh, we got it. Wonderful, thanks. You know, the acting class, everything was written, but Bill and Alec and the writers really like let us sort of, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, because we didn't improvise it. It's, it wasn't like, 
it wasn't like there was no script, but they let us sort of lean into our thing. So each of these pathetic characters are not so far away from who we are. There's a shade of each of us in our characters, which is sad. But it's, you know, they wanted to hear our like worst, horrible stories and like lean into the sort of patheticness of being a struggling actor in New York and L.A. and in L.A. specifically. And, you know, there's a lot of feeling pathetic as a struggling actor, as an actor. (laughs) Guess what? Being an actor is pathetic. Being like 18 months removed from that when you were doing it. Yeah. It must have felt like a personal indictment. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, it was not. I mean, I really... Because, like, haters writing it. Yeah. This guy's been successful for 15 years. Yeah. What? There was a moment, like... Megan Mullally found him in a backyard and made him a star. She sure did. Lauren? Lauren, I got someone for you. Wait, how would she say it? She'd be like, Lauren, 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 hey, (laughs) Lauren, I have someone I love Megan Molly so much. Yeah, they're, they're, every once in a while, you know, I'm just like having fun doing Barry. It's great. Hanging out with my friends, hanging out with Bill. It's so fun. It's so great. And then every once in a while I go, ding. And I'm like, wait, is he making fun of us? <laughs> Are we making fun of ourselves? Is this pathetic? But, um, you know, like early on in Barry, like when we shot the pilot, I was Natalie. I was like getting Henry's chair for him and like, what would you like in your coffee? And he had to tell me to like chill out. He had to be like, you don't need to do this. You know, I remember we were doing like a rehearsal and I like went and closed the door and like asked people to sort of quiet down. And he's like, that's actually not your job. Don't do that. And I had to sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Like this is not, I'm not babysitting. I'm not like someone's personal assistant. Which and that I, has to be coming from you because one of television's greatest stars of all time, Henry Winkler, is a small, modest man. <laughs> like He's a little sweetheart. He sure is. And he is not demanding that of others. No, no, no. Exactly. Like, yes. Explicitly For or sure. implicitly. Yes, I see. Yeah. He definitely was not like, get me a coffee. No, 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 no. no. He, was no. Get, he was probably bringing people exactly. coffee. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to out Henry, Henry Winkler. The sweetest man on earth. I love him. I love him so much. I love him so much it hurts. I think Barry also is a specific indictment of Los Angeles. For sure. In a particular way. Like, I I think when you are taking an acting class, often there is this collective fiction that the reason you are all taking the acting class is because you are all about to dedicate your life to Ibsen. (laughs) You know? Like, everyone is in this thing together of totally. we're all doing Bertolt Brecht. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, there is certainly theater and there's classical theater and right. so forth. But like, if you're in an acting class in Los Angeles, you're learning how to do a good job auditioning for a soup commercial. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are the things that they want in a soup mom? Yeah, totally. And that... It's so specific to hear. And it's so sad. I know. Because it, like, on the one hand, the pretense is sad of the other thing and the practicality is practical of the Los Angeles thing. But also, it's like everyone just wants with all their heart to be an artist. But we're... And at the end of the day, it's a class on how to do voiceovers and talk a little faster without changing your intonation. Totally, Yeah. And I, I, you know, like... To that point, like Sarah Goldberg doing the 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 scene from Magnolia in the pilot, and like um, 
true romance, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so funny. It's so funny and so specific to LA and, you know, like a sort of unapologetically. And I, I love it. I love it so much. Oh my God. We had so much fun. This just, I just love casts. <laughs> I love actors. We just fell in love with each other. We were obsessed with each other. We rehearsed it like a play. We had so much time. I mean, the funny thing about the acting class and season one in particular is we're not in it very much, but we spent a lot of time together and a lot of time on set. And they really let us improvise and, you know, a one minute scene, they let us go for eight minutes. Like they really, I I don't know why, and I'm glad they did. And I'm sure it helped in a way and I'm sure the crew was rolling their eyes but it was it was it was like some I think the best version of a TV show is when it kind of feels like you're you kind of forget that it's going to be on TV and you kind of feel like you're at summer camp and not to bring it back to League of Their Own but that definitely is what League of Their Own felt like but um you know Barry when we shot it to when it was on it was so far away and League is like that too you know we shot it so long ago you almost forget that people are ever going to watch it and the the best feeling is when you just feel like you're you know, playing with your friends. What a joke. What a silly career. But I feel so lucky. feel so lucky to go to camp with my friends. It's another part as well where part of it was the fact that Hayter knew you so well yeah. because you had worked for his family as a nanny. Yeah. I don't know if you were still, I don't know what the timeline there is. Pretty, pretty close. Okay. <laughs> but not, I mean, not, I wasn't st- I mean, whatever. I I think I got cast in in the spring and in the fall before that. So not not even a year before that. I I was still their nanny. I have known Hater a tiny bit for a long time. Yeah. He supported this show at the very beginning of podcasting and I like sent him an email. Are you the guy who just started on Saturday Night Live? Hmm. Um don't think there's anyone who's I've ever had on this show where I like look into their eyes and see more brain gears mm-hmm. turning. This kid's smart. He knows more about film and television than anyone I've ever met except maybe Elvis Mitchell. Mm-hmm. But he also ha- is a extraordinary impressionist, which is a gift that only belongs to very weird people. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it is a combination of the loneliness of the child magician. Yeah. And the, like, sensitiveness of, you know, a closeted gay boy or something. Right. You know, like, uh, having to, like, look at everyone around yeah, you yeah, yeah. really intensely. Quietly take them in. He's terrifying on Barry mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. And while I generally found him to be a sweet guy, mm-hmm. I'm also terrified of him in real life. Because of his, just, I get it, I get it. He's yeah. just so such an American original. Yeah, he's so say. extraordinary. Yes, yeah. I know, I know what you It's mean. really something else that I have a hard time imagining him having a house, <laughs> much less working in his house. Right, right, right. Like that prospect I find completely overwhelming. Yeah, I get that. I think, you know, it's probably lucky that I worked for him for so long, so sort of like intimately, what a weird word, but like in his, you know, in his in his life, you know, and, uh, I would have been, yeah, I could see myself going onto his set, being a fan of him, being terrified of him. Luckily, you know, I'm not, I'm not at this point. He feels like, you know, a family member and it's been 
you know, I, I, it's been such an incredible thing to watch this for him, this Barry thing, because, you know, knowing him for so long and knowing him for so well, it's almost like a fluke that he's funny. Do you know what I mean? It's almost a yes. fluke that he is a genius impressionist. He was made to be a director and a writer and like a serious actor. And he happens to be a genius comedian. But he's such a good director. I love I love when the episodes when he's directing. It's it's he's incredible at it. And yeah, it's it's um fun to sort of I mean, he obviously was so successful before Barry, but it's fun to watch him sort of I don't know, meet his destiny or something like that. It all like makes sense to me. And uh I don't know. Love the dude so much. We'll wrap up with Darcy Carden after a quick break. When we return, the moment you waited for will have finally arrived. Darcy Carden and I will discuss our legendary joint TV appearance on IFC's Comedy Bang Bang. Twin titans of the acting arts. The electricity is already filling the air. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey there, quick favor to ask. Will you help us out by taking a five-minute survey at MaximumFun.org slash survey? As you know, most of the support for MaxFun comes directly from folks like you, but many of our shows and our network also rely on limited advertising for some revenue. This survey helps us attract advertisers that are a good fit for the audiences of our shows, and it helps many of our hosts secure a bit of extra income. It should only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll get a discount at MaxFun's door when you do. That's MaximumFun.org slash survey. Thanks. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Darcy Carden. She's the star of The Good Place, Barry, and the upcoming show, A League of Their Own. Let's get back into our conversation. I have to ask you a little bit about your childhood in the Bay Area. Okay. Your father was an alternative newspaper publisher. Hell yeah. And... I found this out when someone tweeted at me that he was the publisher of BAM, mm-hmm. which was a music listings yeah. and articles that would be at a coffee shop. Yeah. Or like a record store or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and look, we can talk about that, but I'm much more interested in him being the publisher of something called Microtimes. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. The first thought I had, Microtimes was like where you would buy your computer parts out of. <laughs> And uh, it had some articles, too. Yeah. And the first thought I had was just at your house, was there ever, like, dinner table conversation, somebody talking about computer currents? <laughs> the rival <laughs> computer-based. Like, yes, there was. Because <laughs> also my dad's, like, really competitive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, I almost, not to say I forgot about Microtimes, because of course I didn't, but BAM is like our legacy. BAM is like the thing we are, me and my siblings are so sort of like proud of, and it's fun to talk about. And we, you know, music is our, music is our God in our family. And, um, and I kind of forget that, you know, Microtimes, Microtimes was a bigger magazine. Microtimes was like a huge magazine. Microtimes, what a cute little name. Um, yeah. And we did have like, we did have sort of like computery things early and, I think I like found out about the internet early, (laughs) but I mean, it wasn't as interesting to me as music, so I didn't fully grasp it, of course, but I'm saying this 
from a privileged place, meaning like my family is good. <laughs> I'm not talking about money or anything like that. I'm talking about like not everybody has this uh, this lucky thing where like I had a really cool childhood and I really love my family. <laughs> and, um, you know, my dad's job being a magazine, I don't know, editor, founder, like having this, having these, a bunch of magazines, it was just like a really cool way to grow up. And his office was in Oakland and all, everybody that worked for him, it was like this big, cool family. And it just was a freaking cool way to grow up. And we got to go to concerts and we got to like be obsessed with music. And it just, I'm very, I am very grateful for it. And I was at the time too. I was like, damn, this is cool. What did you get to go see? Well, just about everything. Is that that's where the, that's where the bragging comes in. It was like my parents would take us to the shows, which was cool. So if something was coming through the Bay Area, which, as you know, everything did because we had some really we have and had some really great venues there. We got to see it all. It was so great. It was so cool. And it's turned me into an adult that is obsessed with seeing music live. It's like my it really is my obsession. And it's actually unhealthy because I get like sick to my stomach if I miss something. Like, I've been in a situation many times where I'm seeing a show and I know this person or band is playing again tomorrow night and I'm already, like, sick with, I got to come back again. Or, like, I'm not enjoying it because I know, I'm thinking about how do I get tickets for tomorrow. It's too much. It's the one thing that I, like, you know, really go nuts on. How did it change your life to work alongside Jesse Thorne on an episode of Comedy Bang Bang yeah. one time playing assistant yeah. to his egghead writer. It absolutely That is where we met. What what would you say that was? Like 8 years ago? Yeah, I'm trying to think cuz my last acting credit. So, yeah, I think that <laughs> That was your last acting credit? No, that was I mean, that was exciting. It was, you know, things were going really I mean, okay, I know you asked that as a joke, but things were going really well for me in New York in a way. Again, not with money and not with like I wasn't on SNL. I wasn't on, you know, I wasn't on The Daily Show or whatever. But things were going well. I was, like, moving my way up and things were happening. And then I moved to L.A. and it was, like, it stopped for a minute where I thought it was going to be, like, I'm here, baby. And it stopped. And, you know, even, like, the UCB L.A. wasn't quite working for me and or I wasn't working for it or something. It wasn't, it wasn't like, an easy transition. And then, yeah, like, Scott Ackerman and I think through Neil Campbell – gave me and you a day of work on Comedy Bang Bang. And do days like that and days on Funny or Die shoots, like that was, <laughs> you know, the pat on the back from God saying like, you're on the right track, even though it doesn't quite feel like it. So that day, even though I know we're sort of like, hee 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 about it, it was like, it meant a lot to me in my career. Like, okay, this is, I'm on the right track. Something's coming. This is not for nothing. You know, even though it's like one little day of work, half a day of work, over, you know, over many months. It's what a weird little job. But that is where I met you. And I've been, you know, I met you that day and you've been doing nothing but good things since. So I, I it's been fun to watch your career. You were on that show and somebody was like, oh yeah, that's like a cool UCB lady. And uh, you did it and you were so immediately good. <laughs> Just right from the very beginning, I was like, oh, that's what it is to be good at this. Oh, my God. That's so nice. You were great. You were great. True. That wasn't me looking for a compliment. I did fine. Okay. You, you were amazing. Thanks. Well, Darcy Carden, thank you for taking all this time to be on Bullseye. It was thank great you for to having to me. To what an honor and what a thrill. And I've enjoyed every minute. Oop, let me try that again. But don't cut it out. <laughs> 
What an honor and what a thrill, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Don't cut that out. <laughs> Darcy Carton, my guest, former co-star, and one of the funniest people in the biz. Co-star strong. Like we said earlier, A League of Their Own debuts August 12th on Amazon Prime. It's a great baseball show. Nothing better to watch during the summertime. Go check it out. Oh, and here's a special treat. Yes, that's right. It's Darcy Carden as assistant and me, Jesse Thorne, as egghead writer in Scott Ackerman's Comedy Bang Bang. Scott is walking and talking as the host of a comedy show. Mr. Ackerman, I need final approval on a prop. Uh, needs less red, more orange. What do I always say? If it's red, the joke is dead. But if it's orange... The joke is orange. Where are we on script? I have uh, the Pythagorean Gangnam style. The Real Housewives of Ingmar Bergman. YouTube commenter who uses an Oxford comma incorrectly. Okay, stop! Could you Ivy League jerks be any more intellectually snobbish? Incredible. Still makes my hair stand on end, all these years later. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, there is one mango growing on my tiny mango tree. And I swear to God, if any of you mess with that mango, you won't know what hit you. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme music is by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team and their label Memphis Industries. The track's called Huddle Formation. Go Team, they're great. You can find Bullseye on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Follow us. If you want to share an, an interview real quick, YouTube's a great place to do it. Everybody knows how to watch YouTube. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.